Welcome to the Hot Podcast. Right now we have Angelica Robles. Angelica is actually a best-selling book writer. The current book that she wrote, um, and she told me she has a, another book that she has to write as well, is Through the Brown Eyes. Um, you're known for your motivational speaking. You're known for being able to talk in front of a, of a big crowd and a big public. And I'm just kind of curious, the reason why I brought you on this podcast is just kind of to learn about A, you, B, the book, and three, or see what inspires you to kind of do what you do and be able to, you know, be that motivational person to people who need it. Thank you. So it's a privilege to be on your podcast. So Angelica Robles, I am a former undercover agent, motivational speaker, Forbes published award-winning author, and a mindset coach, and also an executive producer. So I wrote the book about my life based on everything that was kind of going on. I was approached to write the book back in February of 2021 in the midst of COVID starting. And the book did really well. It became a bestseller. And then later on, I ended up signing a book deal with Hollywood. So my life story is going to be depicted in a biopic, in a motion picture. Okay. And, and then you were, from when we last spoke, you had a podcast that you might have to fly down to London for. Is that something that we could disclose? So I will be flying to London to be doing the John English podcast. So yes. And then I'm also going to be collaborating with Marco Robinson, who is also in London. And he is also a award-winning Emmy-winning filmmaker. Yeah. So London is going to be dope. <laughs> Lots of things in London. All right. So as a motivational speaker, right? What motivates you? What motivates me is really being of service to others. You know, my mission and my vision in life now is to touch, move, and inspire other women and other people with, with my tragic story. So I really turn tragedy into resilience and tragedy into success. So that's what keeps me going. I tried to, you know, I always did my research and my due diligence about you, but regarding the story, I'm assuming that's in the book as well, right? So if you mind giving an overview of the book, what everything is in the book. Yes. So the book is pretty much the story of my life. I was an undercover agent for the government and I was an interrogator for 17 years. So more of like a profiler, I talked to the scum of the earth. So terrorists, criminals, drug dealers, murderers, all that. Okay. And I know there's some things that you can't disclose, but what was your most bizarre experience? So the, the story, the story is in the book. Um, there's two stories, actually. One of them is when I was doing undercover work and I actually got exposed and I was taken. So there's a story about that in the book. I always tell people, obviously, I was not killed and I was not raped and I was not deformed. Usually when you're taken, they will either cut your arms off or your legs off. So none of that happened. And obviously I was beat, but it wasn't to the point where I was deformed. So that's one story. The second story, which is also in the book, is the first time I interviewed a murderer, so like a killer. And I remember thinking, I and I say this in the book, murderers need hugs too, because he was explaining to me what he had gone through as a child. And, and I, I could, I had compassion for the child in him. In this society, in this day and age, it's, it's very difficult to keep a straight face and keep a straight mind. And a lot of the times we're kind of forced to keep a face, but in the background we're, we're you know, demolished. There's things going on in our, in our lives that we can't share with anybody. And it's happening a lot now with the youth because mainly the killer to happiness is comparison. And with social media coming up, it's very easy to compare yourself and see somebody's highlight reel and compare your life to their highlight reel, which makes you think that you're 
somewhat less of a person when in reality, that person who you're looking at is probably depressed going through stuff and they just never show it. And you just see their highlight reel. So as far as the youth and, you know, uh, speaking to them in a way that allows them to have confidence in themselves and have self-esteem, how do you go about that? And is that addressed in the book? You know, I do address this in the book. When I grew up, you know, I'm, I'm 40. So when I grew up, we did not have social media. Facebook did not come out until I was a sophomore in college. So I can't even wrap my mind around the just the issues that kids are dealing with now. Suicide rates are up because of social media. And it's very sad, but I, I think that you really have to separate your real life with social media life because people post what they want others to see, which is all the fluff and the nice and the great, but really deep down inside, social media is not real. You know, you see these guys with these Lambos and all, you know, and it's not, it's not real. And I think, you know, what I tell the youth is take social media for what it is. It's not reality. It's not the truth. It doesn't defy who you are. And so, yeah, I think it's very important to separate reality versus social media because it's not, it's not the same. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and again, it's, it's the, you, know, you said it yourself, it's the biggest cause to depression, right? Me personally, I, I believe that depression exists. I just don't believe that depression is something that can or should ever control anybody ever. Um, and I, I believe in God. Okay. I think God is the answer to a lot of these things. And there's been times where I'm from Iraq, first and foremost. So I fully understand what it's like to be in a war zone country where you wake up every single day and you're terrified about what's going to happen next. You have no clue. I've seen some things that obviously no child should ever see. So now I'm coming here and I see that people are being depressed over what seems to me as stupid reasons, but you are the basis of your own reality. So if you believe, if you live in a, in a situation where all you have seen is all you have seen, then you don't know what to compare it to. But for me, somebody that came from another country, a third world country, and I see what's going on in America, I'm like, what are these idiots doing? They're depressed about a girl leaving them, or they're depressed about whatever. And it's just, it's really insane to me how, how much social media has, has influenced not only me, obviously, but those around me. Um, so do you believe social media is a, is a negative uh, aspect or a positive aspect to, to life? I think it's both. I think if you use it for the profits of it, you know, because there's a lot of monetization that happens on social media, but if you use it for good, it's a huge tool and an advantage to your business and to your branding, right? Because all the businesses and everything that has to do with marketing and branding is now on social media. It, it's a hot trend. It's easy, easy, accessible, and it's reachable. It's really reaching your niche audience. But on the other side of it, I think it's bad. You know, I do believe that we all need a social media break here and there because not only is it highly addicting, and it's also very difficult to get it out of the reality, right? Because a lot of young kids believe that social media is the reality and they aspire to make a certain type of money, look a certain way, you know, with women, we see all these enhanced bodies. And so the norm has now become very different. The standards of financial wealth and the standards of, you know, body image has been huge on social media. You know, everything is filtered, everything is cropped, everything is cinched in, you know, everything is elaborated. And so I do believe that it has its advantages, but it does have its disadvantages. 
And you as an individual have to be able to decipher the both. You know, there's there's channels that are specifically made on, on social media to debunk these BS people that are they're trying to only get views because that's what people are doing. They're too distracted. Me personally, I don't even have, I don't believe that I have that much competition because everyone else around me is very distracted. I live in, in constant, uh, what's next? What am I going to do next? I don't know what to do, et cetera. We're just always rushing. So yeah, as far as time management, I mean, I know now it's, uh, you're just worried about writing the books and you're worried about, you know, getting your information out there. How is that working for you? So, you know, time, I feel like for us professionals, time is currency, right? Like time is valuable. It's probably our most valuable asset right now because you can never get time back. So for me, I prioritize, right? What's, what's, what is in my vision and mission, right? Which is right now my speaking career really is taking off. And I value that because that's the way that I get to, you know, touch, move and inspire people. In regards to book two, it's been very difficult to sit down and actually finish book two because I have so much going on with book one still, but I am going to the Arizona desert. You know, those bubbles yeah, that you see, I know you're talking about, I'm yeah. going to the Arizona desert to go right. Yeah. So I'll be in a bubble and disconnected from life. So I'm supposed to be in the bubble for two days. I may stay in the bubble longer, but I, I decided to do two days just to see how it goes, you know? So you're in a bubble in a desert. Anybody else who, who hears that without any context is going to think you're crazy, right? What, what, what do you mean bubble in a desert? What, so, so you're in a bubble. Okay. It's in a bubble. It's called, it's called glamping. So it's like glamorous camping, but what it is, it's, it's, it's this manufactured giant bubble that is like a house, right? It, it's, it's a really like a clear bubble. It's a clear plastic bubble that has all your furniture, your bathroom, everything is in it. And the top is open. So you could see the sky and the stars. And I think the location where I'm staying at, you can see the Big Dipper and it's clearly. So it's three miles south of Phoenix in the desert. Mm. So yeah. And here, uh, I want to go back to a more serious topic as well. You said you were, uh, not to interrupt you, obviously, you said you were hostage uh, or you've been taking hostage, if you even want to call yourself that. Um, as far as trauma goes and as far as how what that did to you, I mean, what I know as soon as you were probably out, you were just life just moves on, right? You, there's no, nobody really uh, is going to pay attention to that as much. And you just have to continue to do what you've always done before you were held hostage. So what did that do to you mentally? I mean, I'm, I'm really curious. And I haven't read your book. I, I really want to now. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, you know, we all go through traumas in life, right? And I believe that it's not what the trauma does to us, but we, what we do with the trauma, right? And so this goes back to having the victim, victor mindset. So I always just really changed my mindset about I'm not a victim, but I'm a victor. So what that means is I use my experiences and my traumas and I turn them into resilience and I turn them into ways to strengthen me. And so, you know, I tell people being, being taken and being held against your will is something that a lot of us don't deal with. Now, a lot of people in third world countries and, and that type of thing, they're kidnapped or taken hostage can talk about this, but for me, 
it always seemed to be that a trauma is something that happens to you in order for you to learn something. So yeah, of course, you know, it does something to us, you know, the, the wounds are always there. But I think for me, I definitely, you know, had trust issues growing up. And even as an adult, I do have trust issues and I'm always scanning my surroundings. Like I always, and, and this is just being trained by the government, knowing where your exits are, never have your back towards an exit so you can see who's coming and going, just stuff like that. I'm just hyper aware of my surroundings. I know when people are following me, you know, I, I think a lot of people are out of touch with their surroundings and that's very important. Even if you've not, even if you're not government trained, you just need to be aware of your surroundings. So I guess men really need to be more aware of where it's just, it's, there's just so much in this world that happens. And, and, and you hear these horror stories about people who had best friends who had, who were killed by their best friends or killed by family members. And you're like, who can I really trust? Who, who, who really is there for me? those who I fully trust completely. Imagine your best friend literally shooting you or stabbing you in the back or doing something to you because of a, of a mental situation that they had. And you just, you just never expect it. Who can I really trust? And I do have a, I have a group of friends who I trust, you know, very dearly, right? But one of the, one of the books, I believe 40 Laws of Power, it's either this one or another one. It says that your best friend is also your, your, your biggest enemy. And it tells you how um, there's numerous stories where people got super close together and the other person just used them and for the sake of getting close to them uh, and they they took on their power, they took blame from them, etc. It's a really cool, cruel world out there. Uh, that's one of the things that I, that I like to teach at least is just being able to, A, be aware of your surroundings, whether it's physically, mentally, emotionally, etc. And just to understand and be and be aware of everything that happens. There's so many people that just live life, they close their eyes, they open it, and they go from their 20s to their 30s, close eyes open, and they go from their 30s to their 40s. And it's, it happens like that. And they don't know what happened between these times because they're too busy worrying about everybody else's lives, not worrying about theirs. It's insane. It's insane. Um, now, you seem to have a lot of experience, obviously, about you know with the government. Um, and I know it's a topic that you can't speak about too, too much. My question is what, when somebody reads your book, what are they really getting? What are they, what, what's something that, that you think somebody will absolutely learn and you're very confident it's, it's, it's something that you can speak about in your book? I think that from reading my book is you get to recreate yourself as many times as you mm. need to, because in life, we're going to go through traumas that are going to break you down and you get to say who you are every day and you get to recreate yourself. And the past does not define you. The past isn't thinking about you. So I don't understand why half of the world's population is so focused on the past. And I say this when I go on stage is a second ago was the past. So why are we focusing on things that happened in the past and allowing them to control our present and our future? So really my yeah. book is really to let go of the past traumas and let go of everything that's hindering your current growth based on something that happened years ago or even, you know, a second ago. Okay. Uh, speaking of the past and obviously trauma, I know many times where females were put in situations that they didn't want to be in, whether it's rape, abuse, et cetera. And they, they live for that day. I know I used to know a person, um, who was unfortunately raped. And I don't speak about the story too often, but this person made their life 
their whole entire existence about that certain moment. She, she would remember the, the date that it happened. She would, she would celebrate, not even, I'm not going to say celebrate, but she would, she would remember that day. She'd put on the calendar. She'd make sure that there's things that she does before that day comes along and she starts to feel more nervous. And it's just a whole entire mental situation that happens. And then, you know, she got tattoos about it and everything. It was, it was ridiculous. I mean, she made it, her whole entire existence was based off of that. That was her story. And this is who she defined herself as, as a victim the whole entire time. And I think that's completely wrong for one. And two, I'm never ever in my life going to say that anybody deserves anything like that. But at the same time, as a as a person who who makes their own choices, everybody has the will to make their own choices. You got to still hold yourself accountable for every situation that you put yourself in. If I'm walking down the street, I get hit by a car. What could I have done differently to not get hit by that car? I don't care how wrong I am saying that. This, I mean, this has changed my life completely. Okay. This month, we made this much money. How come we made more money last month than this month? It's all my fault. Sure, the team could be all against me and whatever. Shit could break loose. Economy could be different. What What did I do? I don't care about nothing else. What did I do? How can I fix this? Right? So back to the subject of just making, you know, being a victim is your reality. What What advice do you give to people that, that went through trauma who are trying to get rid of it and, and just completely make it irrelevant in their life? Right. So I think, you know, processing the trauma, because first we need to accept it, then we need to process it, and then we need to let go. It's very simple. And I tell people it takes a second because nobody has control of your emotions but yourself. If somebody says something to you or somebody does something to you and pisses you off or hurts you, guess what? You are choosing to be hurt and you are choosing that aspect or that event to hinder you, right? Because if I said something to you very hurtful in a totally different language, you wouldn't understand me and you wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt you. Right. So yeah. it's a very, very simple mind shift that if somebody says something or does something to you, you really have to look at it in a different aspect. And with trauma, you know, like I said before, it's not something that happens to us, but something that happened for us. What, why did this happen in order for me to grow stronger from it? Because once you read my book, you're going to realize I am a serial trauma expert. <laughs> and I say trauma expert okay. because I've had so much trauma that I've now, I know how to turn trauma into resilience and use the trauma for fuel okay. and not for hindrance. And I think that's the biggest takeaway okay. is yeah, be sad, be upset, you know, deal with it, accept it and process it. And I feel that a lot of us that don't process it are stuck in that, in that mindset until you decide to process it, you will continue to be still in your journey. So is it, when you say process and accept it and, and the other stuff that you mentioned, is it a feeling of being numb to the current thing that happened to you plus every other thing that happens to you ever? as in every single piece of trauma, you become completely numb to it, you start not caring about it, et cetera? Or is it actually going through and recovering each and every single thing that happened to you? I don't know if that meant, how does that, is it like a, a whole, you know, all the trauma that you've ever been through in one take or is it? Or... Yeah, that's a that's a great way to put it. Um, I don't I don't think numb is the, the actual, I think you're numb when you haven't processed the trauma, you know, you, we remain in a catatonic state. You're, you're very numb, mm -hmm. right? 
because you haven't processed it almost like you can't feel anymore but when you process it and you deal with it whether it be therapy or you know those that believe in therapy or just learning to deal with what happened to you you know in the government whenever we kill somebody we go through therapy we have to go speak to a professional and and talk to them about our experience of taking somebody's life away and mm. you know that's 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 a requirement in the government and it's like why can that be a requirement in real life not necessarily saying killing somebody but if you go through some type of trauma there is some rehabilitation that you can do in order to release all that anger and all that angst and all those feelings that trauma does inflict on on your mind and on your body you know Angelica, there's things in this life that you need to deal with alone you can't you can't have somebody else be with you because guess what if you're always leaning back on somebody you're always going to expect somebody to lean back on so this is why therapy is one of the things i'm fully i've never been to therapy before i've never understood it i've never felt the need to go to therapy and there's things that i've been through that obviously nobody knows about um and i'm assuming same exact thing with you uh, just really uncharitable things and i've never ever felt the, felt the need to go to therapy and i've gone to a point where absolutely nothing bothers me so something my company can go crashing tomorrow cool i'll start a new one who cares all right and it's 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 the idea that the only thing that i can fall back on is my morals my reality my religion my family even to a certain extent if they're not falling back with me um so i i don't believe in therapy whatsoever i want to i want to get your take on that too because i know it's very interesting it's a very interesting topic you know i i a lot of people don't believe in therapy i think that therapy could be a valuable tool and a lot of people are not comfortable with sharing themselves with a total stranger right even if it's a professional but i will touch on this because i think it's very important because you're a very powerful man right i think i don't think i know it's very difficult to be a man in this world right because you guys are expected to be strong to be providers to be you know to get it all together so i you know i want to commend you on that because as a as a man who's a professional and and is doing is very successful i do feel that men have it really difficult because you know men are emotional but you guys show it in a different way as we're women we're biologically wired to be extremely emotional and it's okay for us to cry but it's not like that for men and so when you say you know i never i never felt that i needed therapy you know, I think that that's a uh, obviously a personal response or your personal take on it. And it's totally fine, mm -hmm. right? But I do want to touch on the fact that it is hard to be a man and, you know, run a business, run an empire, stay stay, you know, have your shit together, you know, yeah. have all that together. I think it's very difficult and I'll, I think from a women's perspective, it's hard, you know, it's hard. It's cause I wouldn't be able yeah. to, you know, <laughs> and I've been in the government yeah. and been through, you know, I've worked in a male dominant world and, and yeah, I, I think it's hard for sure. Yeah. So, so working in a male dominant world, did that, did that make you more, I don't, I don't want to use the word masculine, but did that really uh, allow you to act like them a little bit more? Yes, for sure. I mean, yes, it, you know, yeah. being a woman, in a male dominant world, yeah, you 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 definitely have to dig into that masculine energy because I talk about this in the book. I was in survival mode, you know, and especially being a minority right. in the government. 
um, eyes are on me, right? Yeah. And I feel that as a woman, you just have to work harder. You have to talk louder. You have to walk harder, you know? So yeah, I definitely do feel that my job and my expertise did make me more masculine for sure. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't. I hate saying. I hate looking at something a bit and saying, "Oh, it's difficult to do this. It's hard to do this." Everything is hard until you do it. Everything is super difficult until it gets done. When I hear people say, "Oh, it's hard being a man," sure, it could be, but I'll never say it's hard being a man because I am a man. I did it. I, I'm born right. <laughs> so what? Um, it's hard being a successful man. It's hard being this, it's difficult being this, all the self-limiting beliefs because you deal with the cards that you were dealt. So it doesn't matter. If I if I was born missing a leg, guess what? I'm gonna be missing a leg for my entire life. So I can either sit there and try to fill in the gap and say, oh, I'm missing a leg. I can't do it. I, I, I can't do whatever these people are doing. Or I can look at my leg and be like, who cares? Doesn't matter, right? There's an empty gap right here. Guess what? I'm gonna now, you know, um, do the same exact thing as people who have all limbs do. Um, and that's just the mindset that, that really needs to happen. You need to be, again, I, I don't want to use the word numb for, for lack of better words, but you need to be very resilient and you need to understand that everything happens to you for a reason. It, it really does. <clears throat> and, you know, as far as your trauma goes, as far as anything else goes, do you really think Angelica will be here today? Right, you know, speaking to me, uh, speaking about how she's writing her second book, about how she's gonna, uh, you know, go to to London and, and have the podcast with um, some very known individuals, and how she's doing so many podcasts and uh, you know being a public. Do you think she'd be at where she was at today without that trauma? Definitely not. Definitely uh, not. Yeah, I think I think not. my life would be a lot a lot more boring. <laughs> For sure. There you go. And uh, yeah, and, and you know, I also believe in God. And I always tell people, I said this in the conference I was at, uh, Melon and Minds over the weekend. I said, I do believe that God has warriors living on this earth. And those warriors, he throws things too in order for us to be able to handle them and then turn it around and teach others how to handle trauma. And so yeah. those of us who are God's warriors, we are literally on this earth dealing with so much in order for us to be able to inspire other people. So. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm telling you all these, you know, people work for nothing. And I say that because I, I literally mean people work for nothing. I, I, I know guys out there who are, <clears throat> you know, super successful doing their own thing and then snorting cocaine. I know guys out there that are super, super successful, worried about all the wrong things. How many women can I sleep with in one week? How many blah, blah, whatever stupid things right so then it becomes where you're working for the wrong things you work your whole entire life for nothing you die we all end up in the same exact place and then what what happens after and this is the thing that people are not worried about because they're so they're so far here that they're not worried about what's what's you know what's around them they're just really not they're so far into their minds now for you i know there's a lot of uh uh Again, go but going back to the, to the discussion of trauma, I know that there's a lot of trauma that, that you've been through. What's some advice that you can give to, to people who have been through trauma? Right. So anything that you keep thinking about in your mind is trauma. Now, it could be good trauma or bad trauma. Everybody knows about bad trauma, right? Something bad happens to you, so you start ruminating. 
So that is in your brain now and you continue to go back to it. It's almost like insanity, right? You're trying something different, expecting a different result. So if there is something that keeps coming back around in your mind, that is an indication that you need to deal with it. So however that may look like for you, right? It could be therapy, it can be scripting, it could be journaling, it could be whatever it may be, reading, writing, uh, grounding, meditation, you know, all the different things that are out there to, to really release any traumas or, or, or release any aches in your body and yeah. in your mind and your soul. I think that's probably the easiest way to identify it. If there's something that you keep thinking about and it's hindering your growth, it's hindering your finances, anything that's, it, it's, it's almost like a slow cancer and it's killing you very slowly. And I think that's probably the fastest way to identify it. And then just pick pick the the way that you're going to deal with it, but you have to deal with it. So obviously dealing with it, however way you're able to deal with it. And then once you've dealt with it, don't ever go back to it. Leave it in the past where it belongs and don't let it, don't let it manifest into your, into your present and into your future. And then, and then as far as, you know, uh, creating new relationships with people and, and then bringing all of that onto them, that's obviously something that's clearly not recommended either, correct? What's, what's your take on that? Right. You know, when it comes to relationships, I think that we all have to heal. We all have to heal from something, right? Because we're human and we're not perfect individuals. But when you bring your baggage into a relationship and there's their baggage, I mean, it's a lot of baggage and there's no trip being taken, if you know what yeah. I mean. And, yeah. and I think that that's already setting up these relationships to fail because you're already bringing all this trouble and this traumas into it. And a lot of people, unfortunately, get into relationships feeling that this person is going to heal me. This person is going to love me enough that I'm going to feel better when it's not. You need to have self-love first before you ever try to get into a relationship with another individual. At least that's my take on it. And the thing is, once, once you base your self-worth on or base your happiness on somebody, then you're screwed. You're absolutely done. You're going to spend your whole entire life trying to replace that gap when in reality, that gap is only going to be your ego for not being able to fully be with that person. And when you can, you know, if, if that same person were to come back to you and they would completely simp over you, you would not like it. You'd probably fucking hate it after a while. You'd be like, oh, get away from me. And you wouldn't view it the same way, but then your ego gets in the way. And then you start thinking, Hmm, why couldn't I, why couldn't I be with this person? What's wrong with me, et cetera. And then you start to think that because you were happier with them, that you're only going to be happy with them and nobody else. Everything is internal. You have to absolutely have zero people around you and be happy with it. And the first step is God. I'm not a preacher. I'm not, I'm not somebody who can, um, you know, speak about religion in, in a very, very complex manner, but I am somebody who is, who is, you know, humbly learning. Uh, first step is God, as always. You know, yeah. you said something that uh, struck something with me. So you know how you, you just said people feel that they need something to live. If you look up the definition right. of addiction in the dictionary, it will state something that you can't live without, right? So in theory, we all have some type of addictions, right? Like how people say addiction is a very aggressive word, right? 
if you have something that you can't live without, is that a sign of weakness? Yeah. Right. So it's a very interesting Absolutely. conversation because when you feel that you can't live without something, that's the definition of an addiction. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And an infatuation to a certain extent is addiction. Right. I mean, the same, the same areas of your, in your brain that get activated when you have an addiction is the same exact areas that get activated when you see something or somebody that you love. So, you know, a couple more questions I have for you. The first one is what is your second book about and when are we expecting the book to be released? released? Yeah. So the second book is called the power of forgiveness, which happens to okay. be the name of my signature speech as well. Uh, Forbes published. Uh, I, I got published in Forbes two weeks ago and the article was about the power yes. of forgiveness. And so the second book okay. really is a continuation of book one. And I, I talk about the power of forgiveness. So I had to forgive my ex-husband for the 10 year lie he mm -hmm. told me that then catapulted me into a seven week federal investigation. I had to... Mm -hmm. I had to forgive him because we share children together. And in order for me to reconstruct a, a co-parenting relationship with him, I had to forgive him. And if I didn't yeah. forgive him, then we wouldn't have been able to start this new relationship that we created. So, mm -hmm. yeah, Absolutely. I don't know if you know uh, what he did, but I pretty much married into the cartel as a federal nice. agent. Okay. Yeah. Without knowing. Okay. And then he, of course, and, and he told had, me. Without. I had no idea. Okay. And then he told and me. This is, this is, I would argue this is a better story than Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> I, would, I would argue, this is insane. This, this should be a movie. I don't know. Angelica, well, that's crazy. That's love at first sight, I guess. Um, this, this should be a movie. I, I don't know about you. I think you should, you should put it on a movie somewhere. I yeah, I, I, yeah, I did sign a deal with Hollywood. Um, so we are in the process of getting writers, but obviously with the writer's cool. strike. So I did sign a Hollywood deal. It's going to be a, a biopic. I was named the executive okay. producer and then we're going to do a spinoff mm. series like Ozark. Okay. Nice. Look at you. Okay. So again, when are we, so here, here's what I would like, right? One day, Angelica, happens to, you know, get super cool, super famous, this podcast blows up, uh, and then they want a date, okay? So they want a date for when this is gonna happen. Um, what what date would that be? When is when are, when are these books coming out? When are, I need times, Angelica, come on now. That's a great question. Uh, so obviously, you know, Hollywood is not in our favor right now because there's a writer's strike and there's an actor strike. So obviously my movie is on hold because the writers are not writing my script, right? And okay. uh, so I would say probably one more year in regards to, to getting into uh, production in, in my project. I'm trying to finish book two by the end of this year, which is a very okay. uh, aggressive, aggressive uh, timeline. But yeah, mm -hmm. so book two starts okay. with the federal investigation I went under after my ex told me his secret. I had to report it. And then I went under federal investigation for seven weeks. Okay. Were you on house arrest or? Okay. I wasn't on house arrest, but well, they, you know, the government had to do their due diligence because they thought that I was involved. They thought that I had married to be involved. So. Okay. And then you, you had that clearance as well, which is just, it raises eyebrows. Right. 
That's insane. That that really is insane. I mean, so what what happened to him then? Um. So I've I've already told this to people. I decided to publish the book. Obviously, we divorced. I decided to publish the book, and I I did get blacklisted by Department of Defense for publishing the book. So okay. I, I am on the blacklist for Department of Defense. Okay. And you know, you live in DC, so you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, so I was no longer able to work for Department of Defense, but the book became a bestseller. And then later I ended up, you know, landing that movie deal. So again, something bad happened that then had a domino effect for something good happening. Yep, yep. And, and that's, that's how it should be, as always. Um, now, as far as going back into the government and working with them, what, I mean, what are, what's, what's next for you? Would you ever go back? Yeah, and- I actually still work for them. I, I have said it before. Cool. I do work as a, a contractor for the government. I'm contracted to do high-risk mm-hmm. level interrogations. I'm an expert in my field. I've been doing it for 17 years. So yeah, you know, just because Department of Defense blacklisted me doesn't mean I'm blacklisted from the entire government. And I think a lot of people, you know, they watch a lot of TV, you know, blacklist, and they think that once you're blacklisted from one agency, you're blacklisted from all of them. So I was just Mm -hmm. blacklisted from the Department of Defense. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. And then when you, when you interrogate those people, obviously, so I'm really big into sales. Sales requires a lot of psychology. It requires a lot of way around words that you wouldn't use any other way. Like you wouldn't, you and I having a conversation right now. I'm using completely different words than I would use in a sales call, for example. And I'm assuming it's the same exact way with you whenever you're, you're interrogating. So are you, are you, here's my, here's my final question. Are you good cop or bad cop? I'm a good cop, right? But I'll tell okay. you this, cause I'm a profiler. I, I, I slammed the table one time in my entire career. I don't smack people or waterboard them, nothing like that. But what I will say this, okay. because you're, we're, we're all business people now. In yeah. the government world, it's called interrogation, right? It's actually manipulation of the mind. You are manipulating somebody else to think in your ways, to see your way is the best way. But in the business world, we call it sales. Cool, cool. Makes sense, makes sense. And you would use their name a lot, make them comfortable, build rapport with them, et cetera. It, it's, it's kind of, it's really interesting because um, not gonna say I've ever interrogated anybody, not professionally at least, um, but it's the, the process of sales falls through, I'm assuming the same thing now that I'm thinking about it, probably they use the same like mirroring and stuff like that. And I'm sure you guys use the same, the same uh, uh, aspects of, of sales. Um, but e- either way, Angelica, as, as last regards, what, what's, what's the last piece of advice that you're gonna give on this podcast? What is, what is, you know, what's your message gonna be to the world? What's the last thing this person, that the, the viewer should hear on, on this podcast from you? I think if you can let go of fear of judgment, you'll be unstoppable because nobody else's opinion has anything to do with you. It's none of your business and has no undertaking into who you can become as an individual. Beautiful. Love it. Well, Angelica, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. We're super excited to see what you do in the future as well. Uh, And then hopefully very soon we can, we can reconnect and, when when book two comes out or, or some somewhere along those along those lines, we'll uh, we'll probably hop on a podcast too. But either way, thank you very much um, for hopping on this podcast. All the information that you have just provided will be in the description as well. Um, your book, your social channels, etc., will be down there as well. 
I appreciate you for coming and uh, we'll speak soon. Thank you. All right.